A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. With a massive move to distributed data architecture, it's essential to have access to all of your data wherever it is. A data mesh emphasizes domain-driven data ownership, data as a product, self-service infrastructure, and federated computational governance, giving you faster time to value without needing to transport your data. Starburst allows you to achieve this distributed architecture by allowing you to run SQL queries across distributed data that connect sources, regions, and clouds. For more information on how your team can benefit from a data mesh strategy, check out our data mesh resource center on our website. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Dan Sullivan, Principal Data Architect at 4 Mile Analytics. I asked Dan to be on to chat about data literacy as he has put together a number of online classes around database and data engineering topics. Dan's three key pillars for driving data literacy for data engineers are one, domain knowledge, two, learning, and three, collaboration. Data engineers should pair with business people to acquire domain knowledge. They should be given the opportunity to spend time doing things like online training so they can actually learn new skills and and new approaches. And they should collaborate across the organization instead of just being ticket tacklers. Jamak has mentioned in a few talks that data engineers, at least as many are currently used, may not be a thing in data mesh going forward and possibly kind of in the whole industry. There's a lot of of people I talk to who behind closed doors will say that they don't think that data engineers will be doing what they're doing or exist in something like five years. Dan actually somewhat agrees. uh, As right now, there's a big rush to build out the initial iterations of data products in the industry definition, not just the data mesh definition of, of data products. Going forward, Dan thinks there will be a need for data engineers that can really understand consumer needs and build the interactions, such as the SDKs, to leverage data. It might be like what happened with distributed systems engineers in the early to mid-2010s and what is starting to happen with streaming data engineers now. Per Dan, not all data engineers are the same depending on background. Some come from a data analyst slash data science background, but many come from a software engineering background. So we can't treat training all data engineers as if it's the same, but we do need data engineers to have a well-rounded understanding of, of what's going on. So a big need is for them to understand more about the data consumers and or the producers. So embedding them in in the different domains can really help to round out their understanding and and their experience. For driving buy-in with data engineers, Dan points to the problems typically being around incentives. Data engineering is often also hampered by organizational, organizational issues and a lack of clear direction. So if you can tackle those, you can often win over the data engineers. 
In any organization, but especially in one implementing data mesh, standards, protocols, and, and data contracts are all very important. However, most data engineering teams are not given the time to actually create those and, and really manage those well. They take a lot of effort and are hard to get right. So we need to give people the space to really tackle those, those different aspects. A, a very, very key point that Dan brought up is around tech debt and data. Taking on tech debt should always be a very conscious choice. But the way most organizations work with data is much more of an unconscious choice, especially by data producers who are often taking on that tech debt that the data engineering teams will have to pay down. So again, what choices you're making should consciously lead to what tech debt you take on But when it comes to the way most organizations are handling data, that's not at all the case. And we have to move past that. We have to find ways to deliver value quickly, but with discipline so that we aren't just taking on especially unconscious, but even the conscious tech debt when it's not necessary. Dan also talked about how data can take a lot of useful practices from agile, especially the fast cycle feedback loop, and that data people really need to think more about the user experience for data. Um, The interview that uh, I had with the predictive UX folks, uh, Karen and Steve, talked about this too, that there just really isn't nearly as much of a necessary focus on user experience when it comes to data. And to do data mesh right or data in general right that user experience really does need to be part of what you're considering. So I think you'll get I think you'll get a good approach to working with data engineers to get them to a place where they need to be to really help implement your data mesh or whatever data projects that you're looking to to kind of move forward with. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very excited for today's episode. I've got Dan Sullivan here. He's the principal data architect at Four Mile Analytics. And Dan has uh, come across my radar multiple times uh, uh, over the, the last couple of years for a lot of different things. Dan has put out a lot of really, really good content around data and, and things like that for training people. And so, you know, I first uh, became aware of him relative to Apache Cassandra, you know, working at Datastax. But um, he's he's done a lot of things around helping people learn around data topics. And so what I wanted to, to get him on today to talk in general data literacy, but especially as what we're seeing, you know, HelloFresh had done this on their meetup. They talked about how they've got their internal data literacy program. I think one thing within Data Mesh that is pretty easy to, to overlook is that you have to train your people to be more informed around how to use data to inform their own decisions. So how do we get people to that um, capability to actually use data? You know, if you just give them the access to the data and don't (laughs) tell them how to use it, it's not really going to go all that well. They're not going to be able to to really provide a lot of value from that. So um, with that as kind of the introduction, Dan, if you don't mind giving uh, folks a bit of an introduction to yourself and your background, and then we'll kind of jump into the topic at hand. Sure. Uh, thanks, Scott. Yeah. And first of all, I appreciate being here. I really enjoy talking about this topic. Um, yeah. So as you mentioned, I am a principal data engineer with 4Mile Analytics. Um, 4Mile Analytics is a Google partner data specialist. Um, so we do a lot of work in data analytics, analytics engineering, data engineering. Um, and I'm relatively new to 
Four Mile. Prior to that, I worked in fintech. And uh, prior to that, um, I was at a company called Neurelic, which is a uh, application performance monitoring company. And so, you know, as you might imagine, they they deal with a lot of, of data, large volume, very high volume data ingestion issues and analytics problems. And prior to that, I worked in genetics research, um, mostly in infectious disease genomics. And um, prior to that, I just did a lot of uh, like Oracle consulting, a lot of data warehousing uh, going back uh, back back to the early Kimball days and before. So that's uh, <laughs> that's the short version. Yeah, so you've been on the analytics side for for quite a while. It's it's funny. Um, Tim Tischler uh, was just on. You know, um, for people who will have be listening, you know, the audio the episode isn't out when we're actually recording yet. But um, and so Tim was also at New Relic. So I think it's it's something that's very interesting that that space uh, around. Hey, we've got to get our arms around what's actually going on. It kind of transitions well into data mesh because of all the DevOps type of, of concepts that that really flow well into data mesh and that we're trying to make this not something that it's, you know, that continuous delivery of data is, is an, an interesting um, kind of approach that I don't think people have really thought of before. A lot of times data is, is a one-off delivery because it's one-off um, kind of transformation <laughs> that we're not... Yeah. Creating yep. this in that kind of uh, factory way of treating how we, we create data. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, because you it, there's sort of like two sides of this coin. Where there's the what you just described. It's like we're creating all this data, um, and it's not just and certainly with things like um, Neurelic, but also you know IoT and just other sources of data and just you know like clickstream data. Everything we do on the web, is, you know, many of the things are tracked. So, yeah, there's this constant stream of data, and so. You know, some companies are really good at capturing that and collecting it. Um, and then the, the flip side is, well, okay, now we have all this data. What are we going to do with it? And how do we use it? And I think this gets to the point you were um, mentioning earlier. It's like, how do you start to think about, about data? And from as a data engineer, I tend to think about things like from the ingestion point of view. It's like, okay, how are we going to scale this up? How are we going to, you know, keep you know, low enough write latency so that we can keep up with the ingestion pipeline and things like that. But that's really has nothing to do with people at the other end of sort of the the data production and use pipeline who are trying to make decisions about, well, you know, what, how should we tweak our product? Or, you know, what's the best way to appeal, you know, to break into a new market and things like that. And these are all, you know, questions that are really important from a business perspective, um, but they have nothing to do with low latency rights to Big Table or Cassandra, you know, it's like, and so, and, and I feel like sometimes we we live in two different worlds, like those of us in data, like sometimes you're in the, the data analytics camp, and sometimes you're in the data engineering camp. And um, in fact, I was just talking to a, a data analytic manager earlier today about um, kind of bridging that gap, like how do data analysts become more like data engineers? And I think, you know, it's equally important. It's like, how do data engineers know, learn more about what data analysts do and what's important? Because, uh, you know, with so much data, basically, you know, the, whatever data you want or whatever, like, topic you're interested in, you could probably go out and find data about it. And the question is, so what? What, what of that data that you find is going to be useful for whatever you're trying to, to do? And how do you link that up? And that, that's really for me, at least right now, like the really interesting kind of um, touch point is like thinking, I, I often spend a lot of time thinking from like the data engineer, ML engineer, archit data architect perspective, but also it's like, well, from a consumer of the data, why would they care? Like why, why do they care about how, you know, what kind of clickstream data might be available in the data lake? And so getting from the business problem to to a using consuming data is is an important step and it's like how do you formulate the questions or why would you even formulate it in terms of data and you know if you're a quantitative person you probably had a statistics course at some point or you know you had a Coursera course on stats and you understand some basic like descriptive statistics and that might be a starting point but 
But maybe that's not enough. Maybe you don't really understand, like, you know, what's a normal distribution? I keep hearing this word distribution. What does that really mean? And why do I care? And stuff like that is kind of like it's that's somewhere in that middle ground between data engineer and data analyst and building the question, the, the business question. Um, and and so it's really I find this hard for me to think about, like, how do you talk to somebody at the data consumer end from their perspective and walk them back? walk back with them to like, here's how you use the data. This is how you formulate the question. If you have this question, these are the kind of statistical tests you might want to use. And this, and then this is where we'll go get the data and, you know, kind of build the bridge from where they are to where they want to be to answer the question that they're interested in. Right. And well, and then there's the other aspect as well of um, teaching the application developers about how to actually deal with data, how to serve data, like kind of what data engineers have historically done of just trying to ingest and then actually formulate the data from there versus pushing that to the far left and saying, how do we, how do we train them as well? So, um, yeah, which do you like, I mean, we can jump into both sides of, um, kind of helping the, or all, all three, because, you know, as you said, data engineers need to be able to understand more about the application side, especially in data mesh to enable the the team, whether you're embedding a data engineer in that team or you're just the data engineering team is there to um, create the platform or however that works. Or, you know, uh, Mac has talked about maybe five, 10 years down the road, do we even have data engineers? Because mm-hmm. so much of what data engineering is, is, is maintaining the status quo of, of <laughs> make, making sure this stuff is still flowing. And if we have enough um, tooling that prevents us from having those problems, you know, when we have one-off very, very high scale stuff, sure, we might break that down, but, and, or we might have, you know, people that are very, very dedicated to that, but that, um, you know, creating the pipelines and stuff should not be nearly as hard as it is and maintaining those and, and things like that. So um, would you prefer to start with um, helping the application engineers really understand how to serve data with the data engineers of kind of both sides of uh, getting closer to the consumer and getting closer to the producer or the data consumers and, and like really training them up on how to how to use data and inform their decisions. Yeah. Well, how about if we start with the first one, with the, the data engineers and how do we think about the consumers and how do we get there? And I think you're absolutely right about, um, you know, data engineers, like we're needed now. It's like, this is like a big public works project and we're going to build the interstate highway system in the United States kind of level of investment with building data products. But yeah, after a certain point, it's going to be like, you know, water infrastructure, you know, in a country, it's just like the pipes are built, water flows, the water will keep flowing and there will be issues, things will break. But for the most part, it's going to be like, we're not going to think about it, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so I think um, there will be a shift, you know, away from kind of data engineering as we do it now, just as we automate more things and we get better at developing like patterns that we see are really useful. I think one of the things that that I have trouble with is when we're we're building data products is thinking in terms of the person using like a developer who's going to use this this data product so there's some api and they're going to send a request and i'm going to send back some data and it's like well what what is the data what what's the conversation we're having because that'll determine our vocabulary and how we structure the data and how we organize it so you know what kinds of sets of data do we pass back and so i think a you know, initially, a lot of the work in uh, for a data engineer is learning about the needs of the consumer and kind of crafting APIs around that. And then on top of that, building things like SDKs or libraries that make it easier to use the APIs. Um, yeah, I think that's, I feel like that's where more work will continue. I think the bulk kind of data ingestion, moving data around, getting it written to a data store, you know, something we can query with SQL. There, there's a, definitely a lot of need for that right now. That's the kind of data engineering that's going to taper off and become more automated and easier to, to kind of scale up with a small number of data engineers. Kind of like, a you know, operating a, you know, 
a public waterwork system or something like that. There, there aren't that many people that have to work on it day to day. You know, if you get closer to the consumer, like, you know, there's, we need people working as, you know, doing plumbing at, at the finer grain detailed level all over the place. Like they're just, that's constant need, right? And I feel like that's going to be something similar we'll see in, from data engineering, where we're going to be more focused and more tightly coupled with people who are the consumers of the data. And, and how have you thought about, you know, with the, the data literacy is what we're, we're talking about today of how have you found or what, what have you found is useful to kind of approach them with from a, an information standpoint and a training and teaching standpoint, right? Is it that embedding them into the teams? Is it, um, you know, kind of just putting them through a lot of classes or what, what have you found that makes it so that they can actually have those useful conversations with consumers? You know, uh, we, we, I've had a few episodes uh, around domain-driven design for data, and a huge part of that is just getting people to exchange information in uh, a language that both can understand. <laughs> and yeah. so, like, how, how do we get the data engineers to really understand what the consumers need? Because, you know, within Data Mesh, is that that we're um, are putting those data engineers into the domain teams, or you know. Is it that they're building the platform or whatever, but like really understanding what people need? How have you found that to be like how what what have you found is effective and maybe what's not effective so people can go down, prevent themselves from going down bath baths? Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know, I'm not uh yeah, I'm not sure. Um I have um Things that I would definitively say, yeah, do this and don't do that. I don't have, you know, because it's still, I feel like this is still early. But I do feel that um, it's almost like there's there's two kinds of, or two broad types of data engineering tasks. There's the, the building the heavy infrastructure for moving the data, persisting it, doing data lifecycle management. Uh, that we need to focus on. So, you know, there might be people that are really good with like uh, uh Cloud, you know, like Dataflow and Google, which is like Apache Beam, you know, building batch and stream processing pipelines. And then there are other data engineers who are more focused on delivering data sets tailored to consumers. And those people, I think, really need to be embedded with the domain experts, the people that they're they're going to be serving. Um, and this is, and I've seen this especially. Um, working in life sciences where you have people with like me who have like backgrounds in computer science, you know, we could have a computer science vocabulary is natural to us. And then all of a sudden you're sitting down with people who are geneticists or microbiologists and they speak a whole totally different language. And when they talk to each other, there's almost like a shorthand or there, there's an understanding um, that may not be clear to us, the people outside the domain. And it's really crucial for someone who's trying to tailor data products and build like APIs that you really understand fairly deeply what's going on in that domain. So I think it makes perfect sense that um, like domain-driven data modeling has, it keeps coming up around data mesh. I think that's a, that's like a key tool and methodology that we're going to be, we're going to be using and depending on quite a bit. So, so how, you know, if, if people are saying, okay, I'm going to, try to train my, my team on this stuff. Um, how do you recommend they set that up? Is, is that something where every company has to build all their own stuff internally or is, you know, I mean, obviously as somebody who delivers mm -hmm. classes, you probably want people to go and take your classes, but you know what I mean? Like what, is it that there needs to be specific tailoring or is it more pairing or what, what have you found is, is how those people can actually, get to, because data, you know, data engineers, you know, you immediately assume that they're data literate and it's like, they kind of are, but they kind of aren't. And so like, how do you get them to know what they need to know? What have you found is effective there? Um, yeah, that's a great point about the data engineers are not necessarily data literate. Like a lot of data engineers come from software engineering. And so, you know, people with backgrounds in software engineering are really good at like CI/CD. They know GitHub. They they are very good at you know software engineering practices. Are well versed in design patterns and things like that, and maybe not so much like on statistics side or um, so. So yeah, I think that is a, a really important point that we not think that data engineers are 
are also like people who consume data and manipulate data the way, say, a data science person does. Um, I think the critical thing for uh, getting a, a functional group is that you have people that, first of all, they have some specific functional knowledge, like the data engineers are, you know, understand data ingestion and data modeling and things like that. Um, so there's a specific knowledge, but also the ability to learn. Um, and this is really crucial. And this is one of the things like sort of one of the reasons I like that I like certifications is that it's like a concrete thing that people have to demonstrate. Yeah, I can learn. So next year when something new comes up, yeah, I'll be able to keep up with that. And then the third sort of leg of the stool is people on the team need to be able to collaborate. So I'd say the first thing is you you want to put the right people into this position um, because if someone is not really wired to be very collaborative, that they prefer to work by themselves and do specific tasks and things like that, that's great, but they're probably not going to be able to go through a training course for a couple of days, whether it's in company specific or a general, you know, take some stuff, courses on LinkedIn learning. You're not going to come out the other end of that and be able to function well in a team where there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There's, you know, depending on the domain, it could be a fairly long ramp up time before you actually understand. So I'd say the key is really focus on the team and, um, making sure you have the functional, like the, the knowledge domains covered, but the other two pieces, the learning and collaborating are really key sort of personality characteristics or skills. I'm not sure what they are, but, but those are must haves. Okay. So you'd say it's, it's domain knowledge, learning and collaboration. Yes. Yeah. Those are really sort of the key things. And for the domain knowledge, none of us are going to know it all. I mean, so that's why we need to collaborate. And it doesn't matter how long we, we stay in this field. I mean, I've been doing this for decades and there's no way I, I don't know. You know, I know a small fraction of what I would need to know to do anything interesting in the work that I do, which is why I end up working with teams all the time. Um, so I think we need to recognize that as well, um, both among ourselves, but also like people like if you're in an organization, you're a manager and you're trying to put together teams. I think it's really important to be aware of the, the mix of skills that uh, of, in terms of functional knowledge that are that are required. Do, do you have any uh, advice if someone were to ask you how to accelerate the the domain knowledge acquisition, right? Like it's, is that just kind of pairing with people? Is that trying to be in, in a lot more business focused meetings that have absolutely nothing to do with the data? Like what, what, if you were to say, like, how can a data engineer get to a, a reasonable, useful level of domain knowledge? Yeah, I would say for me, and people have different learning styles, it's kind of multi-tiered. I mean, there's definitely the orientation with the business people to kind of understand what's the scope um, because it, it, really, it really doesn't matter like what field you're working in. You could just walk in and say, oh, I need to know about X and X could be, you know, commodities trading data sets or, um, you know, something in life science or, you know, something in marketing with direct to consumer marketing. You know, any of those fields are so broad, you could spend a lot of time like trying to get a foundation and, and, and sort of lose the marginal gain that you get from kind of working on your own. So I feel like the first thing is get a sense of what's the scope of what you're trying to understand and, and be in meetings where people are discussing like other like marketing domain experts are talking about what it is so that you're starting to learn the vocabulary because that'll help you when you go back and you do the, okay, now I need to actually go drill down and learn, you know, what do these terms mean? Um, you know, and what, what is the data associated with these? And so I find it's a mix between being kind of being around the culture and learning what the specific subset of things that we need to do, sort of book learning, online learning, going and finding, you know, YouTube videos on this particular topic, and then also working with the data. Again, it's like those three things I kind of, and, and you kind of shift depending on where you are in your learning cycle. You know, sometimes some of those are more important than others, but definitely yeah. start with the, the people you're going to be working with would okay. be my suggestion. Well, I, I think, I think we've, we've given a good path for people to kind of, help their, their data engineering team, um, which would you prefer to talk about uh, as well on the um, getting data consumers up to speed and kind of 
uh, you know, you talked a little bit about the like actually leveraging the data, but you know, I think part of data mesh is about putting data in front of folks um, in -hmm. such a way that they don't, that they can answer their questions without having to do like the heavy statistics or the heavy SQL and things like that as well. Um, Or the other side, which I think is, is one that's really weighing on a lot of people on data mesh is how do we get the domains, not just, you know, getting them bought in that they want to share their data has been a little bit difficult for a lot of folks, but Hmm. just even understanding or or getting them to understand how they could appropriately share that data. Because some of it is people are like, hey, you need to be able to share this in this super complicated way. Um, so that our data scientists can use it today. And it's like, you got to kind of build up to that, build that muscle and things like that. But um, which you think is, is that you'd rather kind of jump into more? Yeah. How about if we jump into that latter topic about, you know, how do we get data? How do we get people to buy in? Because this is really like a, it's like a social good. You know, it's like, you know, you're going to contribute something, you know, you have this really valuable data, um, that you use for whatever it is that you work on. And it turns out that that data is also useful in different ways when combined with other data for other people. So um, we have like a a problem around incentives because if you, in your organization, if you're incentivized to just get work with your data as as you are um, and produce what, what you're producing, but there's no incentive to share that, then that's a problem because you know you're going to focus on where, where you basically have been told by the organization this is what we want you to focus on. So one of the problems at a at a certain level, it's an organizational issue, and how do you how do you as an organization reflect the value of that kind of data sharing and collaborating at a at an organizational level about sharing your data. And so there need to be incentives or there, there needs to be clear direction or strategy or kind of uh, acculturation about this idea that, no, data sharing is really important. And so, one, and so part of it is we, we as the, the data people working with the data, have to buy into the idea. And that's an organizational problem. And then we need the means to do it. And this is, in a lot of ways, this is the hard data engineering part because this gets also into collaboration because now what we're talking about is we're talking about standards and protocols and basically coming to agreements and making contracts with people that this is the way we will share the data. I don't know, we, we've talked uh, previously briefly about like in the field in infectious disease genomics, one of the reasons the COVID-19 vaccine was able to be developed so quickly is because there are data standards around sharing genomic sequences and understanding the data and how you can upload them into repositories and other people can quickly get access to them. All of those standards, it took years to develop those. And so what we're doing sort of every day we're at work is kind of doing that at a micro level within an organization, trying to come to agreements about how we're going to share data. So I think we need to understand that that is a piece of work. And it's not something that's necessarily going to be done in one or two sprints. And it's not going to be done by just one or two teams. It's going, this is actually more like, how do we extend like agile methodologies to uh, easily accommodate and put structure around this kind of work that we need to do? Yeah, I think that's really important when you, the the through lines that I see in a lot of these conversations is, um, if you it's kind of like the so tell me about yourself um if you that's that's kind of just the worst interview question because there's no direction versus if you give people a hey here is a couple of different ways that you could do this and you give them the agency to choose um how they get to that 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 works much better but if they have to invent everything from scratch, if they have to, to yeah. invent their own standards and uh, then every domain is going to have their own standard and it's not going to be usable across, but it's also going to be mm-hmm. a, a much harder uh, mountain to climb because you're not giving yep. them the resources to actually do it. It's, it's a, right. a ma- major pain in the butt for them because they're just like, I have to spend so much time doing this, this toil work that mm-hmm. if you provided a blueprint, it really would. But like, how have you seen 
educating those folks. Again, we're, we're trying to talk about like the, the literacy angle and literacy isn't just like, you know, reading and things like that, but like mm-hmm. how, when you are talking to data engineers that maybe came from the software engineering world, we're trying to teach data to the software engineers and data mesh. Like yep. when you're teaching data engineers about data and, and, mm-hmm. and how to do that, like how do we extend that into the software engineers, the application engineers to to give them the understanding of, of data? Like what have you seen has been effective with that? Well, I think there's a couple of pieces um, when it comes to like the, like the architecture and how we're building the data pipelines and where we're getting data. I think um, it's really helpful talking to software engineers in terms in software engineering terminology. So it's really easy to talk about like tech debt. As software engineers completely understand, you know, the idea that I'm I'm gonna just like plug this thing. I, I've got this need, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix it with some code that's not great, it's not really efficient. I don't want to do it this way, but I'll come back and fix it later because it enables me to do other things that I need to get done to meet some particular deadline. And with Data, I think what we haven't realized is that by thinking that we're silos and, oh, I'm just going to go somewhere, I'm going to go to the data warehouse or I'm going to go to, you know, an OLTP system and get some data out of there and build my own pipeline and produce my report or my dashboard. We're basically accumulating tech debt or data debt, but we're not even, we don't realize it because what we really need is like a, a platform in the middle that is a, a way of dealing with large volumes of data and governing it and making it accessible and searchable and secure. And so I think talking to software engineers about tech debt and why we build, sometimes we take shortcuts and go around platforms that are maybe like the unifying platform to get data just to get something done. But really what we wanna be doing is building, you know, expanding on a platform that will be usable years down the road. And, and again, going back to like like science example, you put the investment up front, it's, it's going to pay off later. Um, and so part of it, again, is just like understanding at an organizational level um, that we need to be building these platforms. So, so d- software engineers understand this idea of platforms and it's like, oh, okay, we're going to have some APIs, some SDKs. There's going to be common pa- design patterns that we use. So I think talking in terms of things like design patterns and common interfaces really helps because then it's, it's basically a software issue then. And then it's like, okay, and then we're going to, and data is just the thing that's going through all of these pipes. I think the, so that's one piece and, and that's sort of the easy side because because it's very easy to talk about data in terms of software kind of methodologies and and practices. And then there's the side of um, thinking like the data analyst or the data consumer. And that's a little trickier because now it's like, okay, we basically have to try and empathize with the person who's using our, our system. And this, in a lot of ways, it does have an analog with software engineers, especially those who do like front ends and are dealing with user experience and things like that. And that is definitely an area I am not good at. I, I couldn't design a decent user interface if my life depended on it. So I'm not, I, I don't wanna to speak to that in any more um, directly because I'm sure I would do a bad job. But somehow it's, there's that idea of being able to sit next to the consumer and like put yourself in that data consumer's position. And, and if you think about it, from the data consumer's position, well, they're, they're, they want this data for some reason. So the big question is start with that, like what's driving them to come to look at this data to begin with. So they're clearly data literate. They understand that the data can help them solve a problem. So I think we as data engineers, the first thing we need to understand is what is that problem and that the person is trying to solve. And then we're kind of like the bridge builders between it's like, okay, I see what you're trying to solve. And then if you're a data analyst, you probably understand enough about statistics and modeling to be able to start formulating in your mind. It's like an approach to solving that problem, like building a model that will solve that problem or do, you know, doing a statistical test that will give us the answer to, to a particular question. And if you understand that, then you can start walking back to the more of the data engineering kind of questions like where's what data do we need? Where is it located? What's the latency? How much is it updated? You know, how often will I need to rebuild this model or recheck, you know, if we're, we're doing some kind of a te- statistical test and think in terms of that. So, um, so yeah, I think a lot of empathy and just thinking 
starting with the business question that's driving the consumer, you know, put yourself in their shoes, I guess is the, is what I would suggest. I, I liked the, what you said about um, the tech debt without realizing it. Cause I think this mm-hmm. is the thing of um, the enterprise data warehouse is just even before it's deployed, it's tech debt because yeah. it's, it's just, and that's what data mesh is trying to do is be, is, remove mm-hmm. that from an agile perspective, but that you do take on tech debt, but that it's a conscious decision because yes. that's exactly what taking on debt should be, right? Yes. Like it, it's not that you go, uh, you know, you, you see the horror stories of, you know, 18, 19 year olds that get a credit card and don't realize that they have to pay the money back and things yeah. like that, right? Right, yeah, no, and, that's a great analogy. So so we, we, we need to really um, help them to understand where, you know, where can they take on that tech debt and, and where shouldn't they and how yeah. to how to manage it going forward and things and, and that we we give them the tooling and put it in their language, as, as you said. Um, and that that um, kind of UX for the, the consumers, the user experience, it's funny how many of these conversations it's that either it was the that people were playing telephone through the data engineering team so the producers were mm. talking to the you know the the consumers come to the data engineering team the data engineering team goes to the the producers and says hey here's what we need and then they you know do the transformations when they get the the data ingested into uh, you know whatever whether it's the lake or the, the warehouse or whatever yeah. and then they pass that on to the consumers and the consumers are like well this isn't what I really wanted but you know yeah. okay it took me three six nine months to to get this so I'll just use I guess what I've got but just getting the consumers and the producers in the same room to to figure out how to share that that common language that it's not that. Yeah that you're going to be able to pass tickets back and forth and understand each other. You, you, and, and you, you talked about something a little bit earlier, which is it, it's kind of against where I think Jamac was seeing the original idea of data mesh, but it's where I'm seeing a lot of people are moving forward, which is kind of having those one-on-one. Uh, you don't think of if, if you're building super bespoke data products in data mesh, mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. because yep. you're only answering very specific questions and you're not setting up the data to be uh, capable of answering multiple questions. But right. starting off in that kind of bespoke one-on-one way with an idea as to grow it into that um, data set that can can answer multiple questions seems mm-hmm. to actually be a very, very good um pattern that I'm seeing emerge because yep. it's okay. I am going to say, I'm going to have that one-to-one relationship because I've got somebody who's saying, I need your data, you know, producer, mm-hmm. I need your data. And the producer's going, okay, I can work with just this consumer. And I don't have to think about every potential use of all of my data ever. I can, I can make sure I satisfy this need and then start to build out how we would satisfy other needs and how we really want to display how the business, you know, our domain works and, and that and what's going on, that context, but that I don't have to say, okay, um, I have to, to do that from the very beginning because, again, it's, okay, so tell me about your domain, right? So tell me about yourself. Yeah. Tell me about your domain instead right. of that, that one-to-one. So I, I liked a lot of what you said there. I think it's very useful. Yeah, I think, and a lot of this, I think we we can learn from software engineering and agile methodologies. This idea of just sitting down, get rapid feedback, be with people who are going to who are going to be using the system, and getting feedback. So it's not what you describe, and which I have been guilty of, you know, and especially early in my career when you know waterfall was the thing or spiral was the thing, and we'd build stuff for a month and then show it to somebody. And that was just, you know, it, it often ended in train wrecks. You know, if it wasn't a terrible disaster, we were feeling lucky. And I feel like now we don't, we know better, like collectively we know better. Um, and we have these techniques, which, you know, thanks to the Agile community and people who practice Agile, you know, it's like there's collective knowledge about how to do this kind of thing. And I think we can definitely adapt that in data engineering. And I hope, I hope we all do. And I really like your idea, uh, or your, yeah, your idea about this idea of, you know, building one thing and it's not, 
Um, it's more of an instance of how you'd like to see it, but I'm going to build just enough to get one piece done. Kind of like, you know, I'm going to put one thread in and then I'll come back and do another thread. But you have in mind what the weave is going to look like while you're building it. And I think that's super important. It's like it's worth investing in building your architecture and understanding how you want to work and and setting up sort of the mechanics of how you're going to collaborate and document and make decisions about, all right, well, I'm going to make this API or I'll, I'll structure the JSON in this way. Um, so that, you know, you, and those come out, those, those sort of practices get built incrementally um, and evolutionarily, like you, you learn as you go, but definitely get delivering some value soon is better than trying to like plan the entire, you know, structure and build it all at once. Yeah, I, I think that delivering value soon is is the thing that just keeps coming up more and more. Is is you know, there's these these grandiose ideas of what data mesh could be, and yep. but like you know, all the people that I see that are are having success are having that practicality, and you know, Jamak is very practical as well. Like that, that people mm-hmm. are like, oh, these these uh, these articles in the book and stuff. Okay, you know, this is a lot of theory, and it's like, yeah, but she's been doing this clients, right? Like she, yeah, she knows yeah. that you've got to deliver that, that fast value first. Yep. Right. And, and the other thing I've seen is that we start, you know, people will start off. It's like, yeah, you know, we're going to follow principle, you know, do data mesh. And then, you know, the clock is ticking and you start, well, forget it, forget it, forget it. And you end up just, you know, building something filled with tech debt because it also requires discipline to just like stick with it. Um, and it's a balance, right? And there's no right answer. It's like, when do you take on tech debt? That's like, you know, it's like a personal decision in your own life. It's like you as a team. And this is another reason why that kind of close iteration with the, you know, either like the project owner or the person consuming the data is so important because you're going to have to decide what, you know, which is more important that you're sticking to the principles and you're building out your data mesh platform, or you're going to deliver something for someone who needs to make a deadline and you're just going to take on more tech debt. Well, in that, you know, kind of what you talked about with data tech debt and, and kind of the enterprise data warehouse, we we need to reevaluate how this is something that I've talked about with data consumers is that data consumers are like, don't ever change anything that you're delivering because they're so used to a change meaning breaking, right? right and with, right. with <clears throat> data mesh, we have to set it up so that those changes are versioning and that it's not, yep. it, you exactly. know, it may be that going from one version to the next does break what you've got and you've got to rebuild mm-hmm. it, but we're going to give you the extensibility and the, the ability to know that that's when that's coming. And we're going to give you the help to make it so that you can make that transition. And we're going to, we're not going to break things out from underneath you for no reason, which is kind of what's been happening with the application engineers is that things just mm-hmm. change because they need to evolve their their model and they don't know who's consuming what, why, how. And so they break stuff for people and they just didn't know. And so, right. Yep. And I think it's important for us as data engineers to think about the different, different kinds of breaking. And there's definitely the one we try out all of us know all too well this idea of, you know, the the API changes, something underlying changes in our code made assumptions, or we had a contract and the contract's broken, and now our stuff breaks. But we also have to understand those changes weren't done just on, you know, somebody's, you know, crazy idea and wanted to try something out. No, there was some business driver or organizational driver that required them to change something. And so we as consumers also need to understand that um, the stuff we depend on is also in flux, all right? It's like gears and, and the gears aren't static. And because we're consuming from a stream of data doesn't mean that that stream is going to stay the same. So we need to be adaptive in, in the way we consume because breaking from our perspective means I went to get the data the way I always do and it's not working. And then there's another kind of breaking, which is the business needs to answer a particular question and they look at the report and there is the data is not there. This is not working for me. This as a, as a, you know, the function, this report, whatever the function of this report, it's not working. And so now we need to fix it. And so there's different way, different kinds of breaking depending on where you are in the data, you know, in the spectrum or the data pipeline. And I think we can't think of ourselves in like this, I'm the center of the universe and everybody revolves around me. We need like this more Copernican perspective. It's like, we're all, in, we're all moving. And, 
And yeah, it's, it's not breaking. I, yeah, I, I'm not quite, I don't know how to, how I feel about this, whether, whether I want to keep calling it breaking. Cause I, I keep saying that, but it feels, it feels not right. Cause it's, it's not breaking things evolve. Like yeah. nothing stays the same, right? I mean, there's entropy, there's evolution. Like the, the one thing that is constant in this, the universe we live in is that things are, are changing. So um, I think we, we also have to kind of like adapt our mentality as data engineers to, to accommodate that. Yeah. There, there, there's an episode coming out um, on Wednesday, which, you know, uh, listeners will have heard it a couple of weeks back, but um, that I talked about this with consumer locking is kind of what I'm calling it of, mm-hmm. but they'd say, you must lock how this is served to me versus yes. we have to enable the evolution. If we don't have evolution, if your application isn't evolving, your application is, 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 you know, stagnating, right? If, if it's static, yeah. it's stagnant. And yep. so if you're not having that evolve, that's a, a trouble, but you're, you don't want your data model necessarily to evolve exactly one-to-one with your application. That's, that's what breaks things. So we need, right. to, we need to create that ability for the application to evolve and the data model to also evolve as the business evolves, but that there, there isn't this yep. tight coupling between those two. And I haven't seen very good frameworks on how to do that, right? On how, no, to, right. Yeah. How, how to really, because people are still so used to just trying to share as it lives in the database for the application. And it's like, yep. that's not at all useful. I'm, I'm trying to get you know, work, working at uh, data stacks and, and the Astra DB offering and stuff. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. us to to think about how can we make it so that, that we can offer something to the application engineers so they can understand what's going to change in or, you know, what what this might break if I if I make yep. this change for yeah. the data model. And is that actually an OK thing where it's like, no, that's an evolution. So I need to evolve my data model at the same time. Or, oh, okay, if I do this, it's it's a refactor, but I could just do it this other way. And it wouldn't actually break, you know, the way that the data model is consuming. So then it's it that would be a breakage because it's just uh, kind of on a whim of, oh, I'm going to do this refactor. And it's it, there's not really a, a real need for it to do it in this way so that it would be breaking it versus I'm making an evolution and mm-hmm. the way we do things just has to change. And that might mean that just the way that we consume the data to then share it changes, or it may be what we share changes. And so it's just, it's just kind of all (laughs) wrapped up. Yeah. And exactly. And that's like part of the contracts when we, when we make contracts, it's like, you know, normally we talk about, all right, I'm going to ship you attribute, you know, columns A, B, and C from the data and it'll be in a JSON structure. And we, you know, and we assume it's fixed and we don't talk about, well, how, how is the schema going to evolve and how will we adapt to it? And, and maybe we'll just agree it's a JSON payload and we're going to have maybe some metadata and, and whatever. I mean, yeah, it's, but, but I think, yeah, if we talk about schema evolution as part of our contract, that's, that's a step, but it's a hard problem. I mean, this is not trivial. And um, yeah, I think that's That's going to be one of the interesting areas over the next, you know, kind of few years that we kind of figure out. Um, because it is like, like we're building standards, like electrical engineers and like mechanical engineers, there's all kinds of standards that have been built up over the years. And, and so we're, we're still immature as an engineering discipline. And so we're, we're in those early phases. And I, I sometimes wonder like the, the engineers who built the aqueducts, like in, you know, 2000 years ago in Europe, you know, how did they do it? Like, how did they come up with standards and things like that? And, yeah. you know, how do you promulgate the standards and get everybody to buy in? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all just kind of craziness and, and um, that you've got to have standards that are extensible. Um, you know, there's cer- certain things that may, you won't, may want to have rigid, mm-hmm. but a lot yep. of it needs to be extendable, extensible, where you can just say, hey, here's, here's the, the basics that you have to adhere to. But if you want to add additional, great. If you want to augment this greatly, then that's a new standard and you have to, to yeah. own that new standard, but that's fine if yep. you want to, if you want to do things under a new standard. So, um, and yes. yeah, we, we've had a few episodes on data contracts cause it's just, it, you know, there, there is the schema side, but there's also the actual like metadata and meaning side, you know, the semantics yep. as, as to, okay, you, you were measuring something in inches and now you're measuring it in centimeters. So right. the data, the, yep. the meaning has completely changed. But 
Yeah, no, right. And that's another, yeah, that's another layer of the problem is, you know, even if we all agree on this, you and I agree on these things, right? There's this idea, it's like the old, you know, we have two reports, column names are the same, and they say have two different values. And you're like, well, which is the source of truth? And how do you talk about that? That's another long conversation. Yeah. I, I did a SQL class and, and the data was just barely unclean. And so, um, if you went and you did joins in, you know, A to B to C to D, you got this number that was like 2,445 and 15 cents. And if you went A to, to E to F to D, you got, you know, $2,444.12. And so it was like, okay, so they're just slightly off, but yep. which one's correct? And it's like, eh, they kind of both are kind of aren't like, so, right. and, but, but also like, uh, we're, we're unfortunately not going to have time to really go super deep into the um, uh, literacy for the consumers. But I think that's another aspect for the consumers of um, directionally right versus fully correct. Yep. Right. Of, of yeah. like, even though those types of things of, well, does it really matter you know, if you're talking about for accounting, yeah, it probably does matter which one of those yep. is correct. But yep. if you're talking about, okay, what were our sales yesterday and what does that look like compared to the week before? Okay, it's up 15%. So is it up 15.02% or 15.18%? Right. It doesn't really matter that much. So. Yeah, yep. Exactly. Right. We're not, you know, measuring the mass of an electron here. We don't need it out to like 10 digits. You know, it's like, you know, pi is about three, you know, <laughs> close enough when I'm setting up, you know, some, you know, big circular thing in the backyard. That's that's close enough for what I'm doing. So, right. I, 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 yeah, like knowing the context of the business question will help us understand when we're you know, how much precision, how accurate does it have to need to be? Yeah, I'd love to, I, I have to say, I, I have a, a course I'm about to put up on Udemy on data literacy for non-tech managers. And it really, and it talks about some of these things. So I'm, that's another, um, it, it's just like, yeah, there's so many like side topics related to that, that, yeah, we don't have time to talk to, but are definitely interesting and, and will cause us pain in the future. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'll drop that link in the in the show notes if it's if it's out by the time we, we uh, publish oh, the episode. Thanks. So. Um, but, uh, so I, we, we are unfortunately kind of at time because, uh, you know, hard stop, but, um, where can people find you? What do you want people following up with you about, um, you know, what, what's, what, if people want to continue this conversation or have, uh, additional incremental conversations and, uh, how, how can people get in touch with you and, and, uh, what do you want them kind of reaching out about? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, feel free to contact me. Uh, LinkedIn's a great way. Uh, I'm Dan Sullivan, PDX uh, on I'll, LinkedIn. I'll drop the link. <laughs> okay, great. And also my email at, at uh, Four Mile is dan.sullivan at fourmile.io. Feel free to, to email me if that's, that uh, works better for you. Okay. And, and, yeah, and any, any specific topic that you want people kind of reaching out to you about? Anything that you think? No, is no. I mean, if you have any question about data or cloud, um, I do a lot of work in Google as well, Google Cloud. Uh, so anything along those lines, just feel free. I'm, I'm always, people always have interesting issues they're dealing with and interesting challenges. So I'm, I'm always up for a good conversation about those. That's kind of part of the podcast, right? It's just like yeah. people sharing context and just uh, having a useful conversation. So, well, Dan, yeah. this has been super, super awesome. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. So thanks so much for that. And thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Dan Sullivan, Principal Data Architect at 4 Mile Analytics. As discussed, you can find a link to Dan's LinkedIn as well as his email address in the show notes. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. 
our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. 